very last verse of the book of John shares an interesting line that we all sort of know to be true, but we kind of forget. And this is what the very last verse of the book of John says. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Duh. Like we know that and yet sometimes we read the four gospels and we sort of think that that's all the story, but what we know is this is just a little bit of the story, and that was from John's perspective. He spent three years of Jesus's 33 years uh, with him, and there were so many more things that happened. There were more parables, there, were more, there was more teaching, and there was certainly more miracles. In fact, even Jesus's first miracle when he turns water into wine sort of hints at there had been some begging and pleading before for some miracles because his mom pleads with him to do this miracle as almost as if she had done that before and he said, not yet, not now. We have four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are what we call the gospels that outline Jesus's life and ministry, but they mostly detail the last three years of his life. There are very few stories. We've got a handful of birth stories and one, child, one story when he's 12 years old, but for most of the 30 years, it's, it's undocumented. So what we know is that there was a whole lot that happened that we don't know about, that we never get to read about, that we'll learn about one day. There were miracles that happened that would blow our minds. And there were probably some miracles that didn't happen for whatever reason. And that is so important as we are in this series called Miracle. And if you're here joining us, maybe you're here for the first time, or maybe you came last week for the first time at the kickoff of this series, I'm so glad that you're here. If you're brand new, my name is Carter McInnes, and I'm lead pastor here, and I'm so grateful for you to be joining us at Mountaintop or tuning in, maybe, for the first time in this series. And it's really critical for us to understand that concept going into this series because I think that sometimes... What we're looking for when we read the, miracle, uh, the miracles of Jesus is a key. I've got one of these little, little thingamabobs where it, it keeps my keys because we, we got so many doors around the church and I got all these keys. Sometimes I have to go through it to figure out which key fits which door. Do you have one of those for your office or anything like that? And sometimes when we're reading the scriptures, we're looking for a key, the right key. We're looking for a code. Is there a secret code, right? That's what, here's what we're asking. How can I get my miracle? Is there a key? Is there a, is there a secret prayer to pray? Is there, um, should I light a candle? Will that work? Did I wear the right shoes? I mean, is there something that I can do so that I can make sure that I get my miracle? Because I'm going to guess that every single one of us that's a part of the service today, whether you're in the room or whether you're online, that we have a miracle that we need in our lives. That we got a friend we're praying for, there's something going in our lives, and oftentimes we ask, how can I get my miracle? And then we're reading the scriptures looking for like code words or a certain key, if we could just find the right key and it will unlock this miracle in our lives? And I just think it's the wrong question. 
And it's not the point of this series at all. Instead, we should be asking this question when we read these stories. What can I learn from their miracle? What does this say, what does this story that we read tell us about who Jesus is and, and, and what his character is and what his heart is and how great and big his power is? What does it say about Jesus? And what can I learn from these individuals, these people who received this, this miracle? What does their story teach me about my story? So we are marching toward Easter in this series. It's coming soon. Can you believe it? It's three weeks away. And hey, if you don't know, uh, I hope you'll be inviting friends to Easter. We're going to make sure we have plenty of room for everyone to spread out. We're going to have three Easter services, and that is 8, 9.30, and 11. Uh, so if you're an early riser, you come to that. If you come to our 915 service, we're going to give you 15 extra minutes to sleep in that day. Or uh, uh, to, Yeah, should have done that today, right? The clock change, the time change. I mean, you know if you come to the early service on clock change Sunday, daylight seven times, you get extra credit in heaven. Did you know that? You do, you do. But so 8, 9, 30, and 11 on Easter, we hope you'll hear, be here to be a part of that. And that's when we, uh, I mean, that's when this incredible week where Jesus is tried in Jerusalem, crucified, and raised again. But in leading up to that week that changed history, there's these three years of ministry where Jesus taught incredible things and did incredible things, miracles, did all these miracles. And the miracle that we're going to be looking at today is at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry in Matthew chapter 9. Now, at this point in the story, he has just invited Matthew to be one of his disciples. So Matthew probably saw this. This is an eyewitness account of what Matthew is sharing. And Jesus has gone on a just a binge of, of miracles at this point. In fact, he is, he's been on a kind of a healing people tour at this point in the story. He, it, like miracle after miracle, he heals a paralytic man to walk again. He raises a young girl from the dead. That's a pretty big one. Uh, he, uh, he heals a woman who has been sick for 12 years. And then he comes across these two men and he hears something unique from them. And it's found in Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. If you got your Bibles open, if you're sitting there at home or on your back porch, uh, get your Bibles open or your app open, Matthew 9, 27. And if you're in the room and you don't have a, a physical Bible, take one at the bookshelves when we leave. We want that to be our gift to you. Here's what Jesus hears as he's just kind of walking down the road, miracle after miracle, and just kind of making his way. This is what it says. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. Now, here's an interesting little thing about this miracle. This miracle is only recorded in the gospel of Matthew. Matthew is the only one that records this miracle. And maybe it's because he had just been called by Jesus to be a disciple, and it was right at the beginning of his time with Jesus. It's like, like you always kind of remember the first thing. So maybe that was it. This was so early, and Matthew remembers, like, gosh, right after I became a disciple, these two blind men. And they use this phrase that is the first time Matthew records anyone using this. And it's an important phrase. 
Have mercy on us, son of David. This isn't just a political term. This is not just them saying uh, that Jesus, they're recognizing his rightful place on the throne of King David as ruler over Israel because God promised David that he would have a ruler, he would have a king on the throne of Israel forever, and Jesus is from the line of David. So it's not just that. This is a spiritual term. This is a term that you would use, not just for a political ruler, but this is a recognition that Jesus is the Hebrew Messiah that has been long promised. This is their way to say that they think he might just be the kind of guy that can do a miracle if anyone can. They have heard rumors about him healing people, and they believed every one of them. In fact, they're, they're saying this means that they believe in him. And they asked this simple prayer. Have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. Have compassion on us. Blindness in ancient Israel was often regarded as judgment from God. So for them, this was about restoration with God, restoration to God's favor, and they are calling on the one who can restore them. Have mercy on us. Restore us to God's favor. And you know one thing I love about this? I believe that what you call God matters. I believe that what we call God matters. I mean, when we pray to God, when we are asking for whatever there is, this big need in our lives, when we are praying for a miracle, are we praying just like, you know, God, maybe if you could kind of sort of do this, it'd be great, cool, thanks. Or do we pray that we are praying to the God of the universe, the creator of everything, of heaven and earth, that this is the Lord Almighty, the beginning and the end. What you call God matters. They are, they are praying a bold prayer because miracles are going to take a bold prayer and a bold action. But what comes next is kind of surprising because even in their boldness, I suppose Jesus just passes right by them when we read what happens next. It says this, when he had gone indoors, so they followed him and he like didn't even stop. They're like, son of David, have mercy on us. He's like, cool, thanks guys. And he, it says he goes indoors. Why does he do this? Maybe Jesus doesn't want to be about show business and he wants to get in private. Um, maybe it's because the crowd had gotten too big. Maybe he, maybe he wanted to test their faith and see if they would really follow through and really follow him, if they would keep at it. But the blind men do follow. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and he asked them, oh, he asked them, do you believe that I'm able to to do this. Um, there are 35 to 37 miracles in the scriptures. And this is the only time that Jesus asked this question to anybody. People come saying, heal my daughter, heal my uh, friend, heal my 
my servant. People come to Jesus all the time and say, heal me. And this is the only time that he asked them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? And so I just want to ask you this question. Do you believe he's able? Do you believe he's able to do what only he can do? Do you believe he's able even when you can't see? You, we might not be blind physically the way they are, but sometimes we are blind to what God might be able to do in our lives or what we think he could do. Do you believe he's able even when you can't see it just like we sung? Do you believe he's able to heal your marriage, to restore your hope, to bring peace to your family? Do you believe he's able to heal a debilitating disease or bring you out of a financial pit or reconcile a relationship that's been severed for years, maybe even decades? I mean, this is a really, really important question when you can't see where to put the next foot in front of the other in your life and you can't see a way that it could ever happen and all you see is it's dark and unknown. Do you really, really, really believe He's able. And maybe if you're at home and you're watching and you're thinking, what, did, what, something's going on with the stream. It's dark here too. Because every morning, that's how these guys woke up for their entire lives. Every morning when they opened their eyes, all they saw was Darkness. And that's why their response to this question, this simple question, is so profound. This is what they say. Yes, Lord, they replied. Yes, they replied. They believe. Now, let me say something here. Believing God is able doesn't mean he will. Believing God is able doesn't mean that he will. I can't stress this enough. And even in that moment, it, it, didn't, mean that for them, it didn't mean that for them. It didn't mean that Jesus was going to do something right then for them. It didn't mean Jesus that was going to perform a miracle for them. The question had nothing to do with what Jesus wanted to do in their lives because he didn't say, hey, if you have faith, I'm going to do this for you. So what do you say, guys? Do you have faith? Well, of course. It was, a different, it was a different angle to the question. Do you believe I'm able? But just because we believe he's able doesn't mean he will. Sometimes the measure of blessing matches the measure of faith, but sometimes it doesn't. Listen, I wish I could give you a key that would unlock your blessing and unlock your miracle. But this question had to do more with their own personal faith and their own, their own hope. This series is called Miracle, so you can probably kind of guess what comes next, right? <laughs> that he's actually going to do the miracle. But he could have done that no matter what. He could have done that no matter what they answered. It really, what they answered had nothing to do with what Jesus could do in their lives. I mean, they could have said, uh, probably. Do you believe I'm able to do this? Eh, Maybe-ish. And it wouldn't have mattered. It's possible. And Jesus could have, could have said, well, I'll show you what's possible. In fact, he does this in other scriptures. 
In two weeks, we're going to read about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And part of the story is that Jesus says that this is for the benefit of other people. He is going to do this, that God has done this so that others might believe. So sometimes Jesus does this. He does miracles so that people will believe. But for these guys, he, it's a little different. He just asked them this question, uh, do they believe? But believing God is able, it does mean that you are in the right posture of trust. And that's already a miracle that we believe against all odds. And what happens after that is out of our control. What happens after our answer to that question is out of our control. And what happened for them is out of their control. But look at what happens. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. There are four instances in the gospel narratives of Jesus healing blind people. And in every one of them, he touches them. Every one of them. Now, sometimes Jesus heals people and he just says the word. But in, in, for all the blind people, he touches them. And I think that's for two reasons. Since they can't see and blind people, especially in that day, did everything by feel and touch, this is a move of relationship. But more than anything, in their culture, blind people were outcast and considered unclean. They were just like lepers because people were afraid that they might catch blindness. And I think this is Jesus saying that I am not afraid to touch the untouchable. I am not afraid to reach into what is the unreachable. I am not afraid to cleanse what the world says is unclean. And I want you to know if where you need a miracle in your life, if you feel like it's untouchable, unreachable, and unclean, I want you to know Jesus is not afraid to reach into your life and touch the untouchable and reach the unreachable and clean the uncleanable. That Jesus isn't afraid of what the world says is untouchable. He's not afraid. Now, we can read this passage, and there's the danger of this passage. We can read this line right here. According to your faith, let it be done to you. See, there it is. That's the key you were looking for, right? And the danger of reading this passage is you can read that and go, so if I just have enough faith, then I'll get my miracle. And can I just say, shame on churches and shame on pastors that have told people that the reason they didn't get the miracle they were hoping for in their life is because they just didn't have enough faith and they just didn't pray hard enough. Shame, shame, shame. And if some pastor or some church told that to you, I want you to know I'm so sorry and that is not the truth of God's word. I'm so sorry. If somebody told you that you just didn't pray the right prayer, you, didn't just ha- you just didn't have enough faith, or you just weren't living right, if somebody told you that the blessing you didn't get was because you didn't have enough faith, that's not the truth. And yet, and yet, and I can't deny what the scripture says and the story of it. I can't deny that it says according to their faith, and here's, What I do believe, here's what I do believe, that what I believe can impact 
can impact what I receive. What I believe can impact what I receive. And I do not believe when Jesus, and listen, over and over again, when Jesus healed a paralytic that, was, that four friends lowered down from a roof, he looked at the, the faith of their friends and said, because of your faith, your friend is healed. One time a leper came to Jesus and Jesus said, it is because of your faith that you have been made well. And he tells these two men that you have been healed according to your faith. I do not believe, I do not believe that everyone who has faith gets a miracle, but I still believe that Jesus is working through faith to give miracles. I do not believe, and the scriptures do not say that if you just have enough faith that you'll get every miracle you ask for, but I absolutely 100% believe that Jesus is still working miracles through our faith. And you know why I know that? It's because the miracle that is for everyone only comes through belief and faith, and that's salvation. And we sang about that this morning, that this is my testimony, that this is the miracle, that my name is registered in heaven. It is a miracle that our sins could be forgiven. It is a miracle that I, my life could be redeemed and restored. It is a miracle that my past could be thrown as far as the east is from the west. It is a miracle that I will stand before God and he won't judge me for all the stupid things I've done, but will judge me because of the perfection in his son Jesus, because his blood covers me. That is a miracle, and you only get that miracle through faith and through what you believe. That's a miracle. So I, still, I do believe, I do believe that what I believe can impact what I receive because you don't receive the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ if you don't believe it. If you don't believe that he died for you, if you don't believe your sins are forgiven, if you don't believe that your repentance turns eternity around for you as his love covers you. It's a miracle for everyone according to their faith. And I think that's why this question is so important for you and me to consider. That Jesus asked these two guys and that he asked us, do you believe he's able? Do you believe, the first, the first answer to that is, the first thing to deal with is, do you believe he's able, and for some of you, this is relatively new to you, do you believe he's able to forgive your sins? Do you believe he's able to forgive your 20s? Do you believe he's able to forgive what you did to your best friend, how you stabbed them in the back? Do you believe that he's able to do what you did to your business partner? to forgive that? Do you believe he's able to forgive the thought you had? Do you believe he's able to restore you, redeem you, cleanse you, make you new, make you whole? Do you believe he's able? That's the first thing to deal with. And after we begin to receive that into our own hearts, I believe that we begin to have the courage and the faith to ask that question of other areas of our lives. Do I believe he's able to heal my friends, to work in my family, to work in my children? But can I just tell you that the more you've lived with disappointment, the harder it is to answer that question affirmatively, isn't it? Can I tell you how many unanswered prayers I've experienced in ministry of miracles that I wanted, that I hoped for and I prayed for? Do you have a long list of them in your life? Oh man, I've prayed for church members that I've served to be reconciled, but one family leaves the church. 
I've prayed for staff hires that I just knew would be, would be right for, for the church I was serving that just didn't happen, didn't work out. And if I'm honest, the biggest disappointments for the miracles that didn't happen in my life have been around buildings, land, and money. Because they're so tangible. I mean, it's, they're so tangible. You either get it or you don't, you have, I mean, you can see it. I started a church, I planted a church 16 years ago, and uh, when we were seven years old, we lost 14 acres that we had poured $150,000 into. Do you know what that does to a church plant? Oh, it's devastating. There's so many stories of, of the miracle I prayed for. And uh, this past Christmas, we had an, another miracle we were praying for here at Mountaintop, our Christmas offering. And we set a big kind of uh, audacious goal for our Christmas offering, $221,000. And um, that was a big goal. In fact, the year before, we had only raised about 200 in our Christmas offering. So naturally, I thought we could raise more in a pandemic, right? I mean, uh, sure. But if you had injected me in early to mid-December with truth serum and said, hey, Carter, how much money do you really, really think we can raise? I would have said, uh, probably about 150. Probably about 150 is what I think we can raise. So um, about a week out, you know, people start giving to a Christmas offering early. And uh, about a week out, uh, it did start kind of trickling in, but it wasn't, it wasn't going great. And uh, as I just looked at the economy and looked at everything, I just thought, I don't know. But this idea of is God able just kept ringing in my brain and just, just speaking in my heart. That phrase, long before I even knew I was going to preach this, I thought about it as I read this scripture. And this is, this is my little journal that I write prayers into, um, and sometimes I yell at God in all caps, um, and sometimes I cry out to God with tear-stained pages. And I wrote this on uh, December, uh, December 15th. Lord, our Christmas offering is this Sunday. It's going to be December 20th. It seems like a big goal. It is a big goal. But Lord, you are able. You are our provider. You are able where no one else is able. So move in such a way that you blow our minds and surprise us with your providence. That was my prayer. You are able. So Sunday came, and uh, uh, we were, we had, by, after that first Sunday, we had about $125,000. And uh, so that next Tuesday, I wrote this. Because, see, when you don't get the 
the answer the first time, it's harder to keep believing that he's able, right? And I wrote this. I said, Lord, we're at 125,000. We need about 90,000 more. I know you are able. And this is what I wrote. These are unprecedented times, but you are able to do unprecedented things. A week later, by the end of 1231, through your generosity and God's moving in all our hearts, we raised $232,000 as part of our Christmas offering. He's able. Now, here's what I know. God could have done that without me. He didn't need my prayers to raise money or to do anything. He didn't need my prayers to heal somebody. He he didn't need me to, to work in somebody's life, to restore a relationship, to heal a marriage. He doesn't need me and he doesn't need you, but he wants us to come along. He wants us to come along. And when I read the story of these two men, I am enamored with this Savior who is able to do all things. But I am inspired by these men who believe against all odds. And I want to be like them. I want a faith that enables what only God is able to do. I don't know if God wants to do another miracle in my life. I have no idea. But if the Holy Spirit roams the earth looking for somewhere to move and in someone to move and he happens to call on me, I want a faith that enables what only God is able to do. I want a a kind of faith that says, God, I believe against all odds. And if Jesus ever looks into my heart, into my eyes and says, I'm ready to move mountains, or do you believe I'm able? I want to say, yes, Lord. I I believe that you're able. And if I don't get what I think I should get, and if the miracle doesn't happen, I will trust you, Lord, because you are able to turn bitter disappointments into better destinies. And I believe in you. You're able. You're able to do what only you can do. And I can't control what God does and I can't control how it happens or when it happens or if it happens. But I'll tell you one thing, if the day comes that it depends on my faith for God to move in my life, I wanna say, Lord, I want a faith that enables what only God is able to do. And if it ever needs to happen according to my faith, I wanna be like those men. What do you wanna be like? I mean, are you just going to live life and just like, you know, just whatever, God? Or you would say, Lord, I stand up. I believe. And even if every morning, even if every morning I wake up and I open my eyes and all I see is darkness and all I see is no way out and all I see is it could never happen, I'm going to trust you, God. And I'm going to say, you are able. Heavenly Father, you are able. God, we wish we could snap our fingers or wave pixie dust or something and just make miracles happen. But what you ask of us 
is to wake up every morning, sometimes blind to hope, blind to future, blind to a better destiny, blind to a way that it, just, that it could, couldn't happen. And you just want to ask of our hearts, do you believe I'm able? Could you believe against all hope? Could you believe against every kind of doubt that you could ever experience? And God, we want this kind of faith from these men, the kind of faith that enables you to do what only you are able to do. Lord, we stand on you. <laughs> but if you ever look to us, the people sitting at home watching, people sitting in this room watching, if you ever look to us and say, do you believe I'm able? Lord, I want to be like the blind men. We want to be like the blind men. With two words. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you just say that with me?